nobody could have done anything more to protect her. She was she was at, in her own home, nine year old girl in her own home with her family, and, uh, and and that deadly violence outside comes into her home. I think that's one of the most terrifying things about this case. She was an innocent victim of grown adult men, gangsters fighting with each other. It just absolutely sickened people in Liverpool. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The murder of nine-year-old Olivia Pratt-Corbell in Liverpool on August 22nd has left Merseyside's underworld reeling from a major crackdown on organised crime. The little girl who was shot when her mother opened the door of their home after hearing commotion outside will forever be remembered as the ultimate innocent victim of gangland crime. This week, Thomas Cashman was charged with her murder and a second man, Paul Russell, was brought before the courts for assisting an offender. But police have said their investigation is ongoing and they're committed to finding anyone involved in the murder, while a record £200,000 Crime Stopper reward has been put up for information. Today, I'm talking with Liverpool Echo crime reporter Jonathan Humphreys, who tells me about Operation Miller, the policing tsunami that has followed Olivia's murder, and about the hundreds of criminals caught up in the searches, raids and seizures. He describes the history of Liverpool's links to organised crime, its position as the UK's most important city for drugs and weapons importation, and of the widespread grief and disbelief of its citizens for a lost child. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Okay, Jonathan, I just wanted to start with that awful uh, day back in August, um, when a nine-year-old child was was killed by a a gunman who was chasing clearly a gangland figure. What happened? Yeah, so essentially on uh, around 10pm on August the 22nd, a Monday night, uh, two men were walking down a road in uh, the Dovecot area of Liverpool. Um, what happened then was there was a man in a balaclava um, carrying two firearms who appear to have been waiting for them to pass. He opened fire in the street. A number of shots were fired from one from one of the two guns. So the uh, one of the men who's been identified in reports as uh, 35-year-old Joseph Nee, he's obviously running for his life. Um, unfortunately, this is where the tragedy happens. The uh, a, a woman who was living in the road, which is Kings Heath Avenue, heard a commotion outside, loud bangs, um, presumably people shouting she opened a door to, to see what was happening um, Joe, this is according to Merseyside Police uh, Joseph Nee sees the door open and sees his chance to escape um, sees, sees a lifeline essentially uh, barges his way past, uh, past Cheryl Corbell the woman uh, into the house the gunman unfortunately is, is close behind manages to also force his way past Cheryl and, and gets uh, gets his hand through the door. He fires a shot from a thirty-eight caliber revolver. The bullet passes through Cheryl's arm and then hits little Olivia Pratt-Corbell, who stood directly behind the bomb. Um, Olivia is unfortunately wounded in the chest. Uh, and one of the, the the terrible things about this case is even at that point, the gunman didn't stop firing. He, he carried on firing at Joseph Knee. Um, Joseph Nee was also wounded in the incident, although um, his injuries weren't life-threatening. 
So uh, the, the gunman has then fled the scene and there's some CCTV of him running away. Uh, the police believe he used back gardens and he was climbing over people's fences to in, in a bit to avoid being spotted. Um, the police are, are obviously called to the scene. Um, people have heard gunshots and police arrive uh, and it's one of the police officers police officers actually who sees how badly injured Olivia is, sees how poorly she is, scoops her up in his arms, takes her into the police car and rushes her to Alder Hay Children's Hospital, which is literally one or two minutes up the road. Um, unfortunately, the injuries are too severe and doctors and uh, the medical team, a crash team, worked on Olivia for a number of hours and just weren't able to, to bring her back and, and she passed away in hospital. So that was the, that was the night Obviously, since, yeah. since then, there's been a, a huge police investigation. The, the glare of the international media has been on Liverpool for, for all the wrong reasons, of course. It's one of those moments, Jonathan, I think as crime correspondents, we often report on a gangland shooting and say, you know, you talk about how easily an innocent could have been involved or a child could have been caught in the crossfire. But this literally is exactly what happened. I mean, a woman opens her door innocently to help her to see what's going on outside. And the next thing she knows, her nine-year-old child yeah. is essentially murdered in front of her eyes. Well, absolutely. And uh, one of the absolutely staggering things about this, one of the coincidences is we had an almost identical case 15 years ago on the very day that Olivia was shot, which of course, um, 11-year-old Reese Jones was, was mm. walking home from football practice when he was hit by a bullet fired. Um, in a tip attack shooting involving young teenagers. So we've had this before. This Merseyside was absolutely rocked on that occasion. Um, the murder of Reese Jones, obviously, it was a, a huge case. And I think yeah. quite a lot of people are familiar with it. There was, there was even an ITV drama series, uh, Little Boy Blue, which dramatised those events. So we, I don't think anyone reasonably thought we'd be back there, especially on the anniversary 15 years later. Um, mm -hmm. and, and what happened to Olivia? I mean, she was she was in a home. She was supposed to be safe. She was she couldn't. Nobody could have done anything more to protect her. She was she was at, in her own home, nine year old girl mm -hmm. in her own home with her family, and uh, and, and that deadly violence outside comes into her home. I think that's one of the most terrifying things about this case. Thomas Cashman, we obviously can't go into too much details about the individual, but um, an extraordinary quick sort of culmination to the investigation, the murder investigation that he's been charged. It's only within six weeks. Yeah. So uh, on Saturday, Merseyside Police called a uh, hastily arranged press conference at the HQ and announced that uh, Thomas Cashman has been charged with the murder of Olivia Pratt-Corbell. Um, so to, uh, the charges are also um, two time, two charges of attempted murder related to Olivia's mum, Cheryl Corbell, and to Joseph Nee, um, the man that the gunman was allegedly chasing before before the uh, fatal shooting took place. He's also charged with two counts of possessing a firearm with intent to, uh, to endanger life. So it was obviously a huge moment in the investigation. Um, uh, like, like we say, we can't. We, we have to be a little bit careful about what we say now that the, a man's been charged. Um, but yeah, it's, I think there is a sense of relief that we've got to this point. Uh, obviously, he's entitled to a fair trial, but the, the fact that charges have been laid, is, I think it's going to reassure a few people around the city that the, the, pro, the investigation's made significant progress. And Jonathan, a second man, Paul Russell, also charged with it, in connection with it? Yeah, so um, the police have been adamant from day one that they'll attempt to go after anyone who's in any way involved in, in what happened to Olivia. 
Um, Paul Russell, a 40-year-old man uh, from the West Derby area of Liverpool, he's been charged with assisting an offender. And according to the wording of the charge, that assistance involves driving the uh, the, the defendant to an address and, ch- and helping him dispose of clothing. So uh, Paul Russell's also been remanded in custody uh, and will appear at Liverpool Crown Court on October the 31st. Um, one thing pol- uh, police did say at the press conference was that this is by no means an end to the investigative side of things. They're still very keen to go after anyone who was, uh, the, the, way, the way they put it, protected or shielded um, the gunman. So, and, and they're still keen for people to come forward with information. Um, so I think, think things are still very, very busy in the background. They've made a promise to Olivia's family and to the community that anybody who helped the gunman or who was involved in uh, in planning the incident will be uh, will be a key target for Merseyside Police. So I think that I, I, I would be surprised if these were the last charges in this case. There was a phrase used in in court here in the Special Criminal Court in relation to one of the uh, gangland murder that happened. And it was along the lines of there's one hand on the trigger, but many hands on the gun, which is that idea that, you know, it takes a team to commit a murder. Um, and obviously in the UK as well, you have charges relating to facilitating the movement and the, the logistical movement of people around it, etc. And they're really the kind of people that that investigation is still going to hunt down. Um, a £200,000 reward, the biggest ever in Crime Stoppers history, is also there for the taking. That's right. Um, so this, Like you said, that was the single highest amount of money ever offered for uh, a, a, an investigation um, in Crime Stoppers history. Um, the founder of Crime Stoppers, Lord Ashcroft, um, Atari Pier, he put up a hundred. He put initially put up fifty thousand pounds, and then a private donor came forward uh, with another hundred thousand pounds, and Lord Ashcroft matched that. So yeah, there's a huge amount of money on offer. Obviously, we don't know if the if anyone's given information that would lead to the nails to claim that. We, we don't know whether the charges are just of just of information the police already had or, or have had from the community since then. But yeah, that um, I think that's that's still got that's still up there. Any any information that anyone's got that could help convict uh, the killer would, would still be there, yeah. Your court system seems to move slightly quicker than ours. Are you expecting this case to come before the courts maybe to be ready either for trial or for pleas within a year? Um, it very much depends on the, the type of evidence involved. Um, we, we don't know. Obviously, we can't go into what what the uh, the prosecution may or may not have, but certain types of cases are more complex than others. Um, if there's... If, if, expert evidence is required for example that can delay things slightly um and of course we don't know if there will be additional charges that may be added onto this trial and there'll be a decision made as to whether there's there's a sort of one single trial or separate trials potentially in the future so it's, it is very difficult to say um i would i would be surprised if if any trial started before the end of this year i think that's that's pretty unlikely um it'd be into next year but yeah th- that process is ongoing now um, there'll be a pre-trial preparation hearing. Um, yeah, I think it, off the top of my head, it was in December. I, I'd have to double check that, but uh, yeah, I think the um, I, I, I wouldn't be uh, expecting a trial to begin this year anyway. Yeah, and I suppose we'll we move on from that because there are people uh, before the courts charged in relation to that dreadful murder. But this has sparked. It's been a seminal moment, really, in 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 recent years in in Liverpool 
gangland because it sparked an absolutely enormous crackdown on organised crime in a city that has been synonymous with that and has been plagued, unlike not unlike our own Dublin. A lot of port cities in um, countries tend to be the centre of organised crime by their very nature, their geography and where the gangs will build up. But um, Liverpool underworld has really felt the ripple effects of this of this awful death of this child. Well, absolutely, yeah. Um, so Merseyside police are obviously aware that the scrutiny is going to be there, that the, the question is going to be asked, what are you doing to deal with organised crime? So they've they've launched something called Operation Miller. Um, and it's not just, well, this has to be said as well, it's not just the Olivia case. It, it's, it's been an incredible, August, the end of August is an incredible, terrible time for Merseyside. We had three firearms-related murders in the space of six days, um, Olivia being the, the third and final one. So we had a, a young woman called Ashley Dale shot dead in her own home the day before Olivia was killed. And then on the 16th of August, a young man called Sam Rimmer was, was shot dead on the streets of the Dingle area of the city. Um, and those uh, and Sam Rimmer's murder was the first murder involving a firearm for over 12 months. So it was it, we've had a sort of, the stats have been relatively good in terms of firearms. have been very we've good. Yeah, 21 year low um, before the murder of Sam Rimmer. 21 year low in firearms discharges in the city. Um, obviously nobody had been killed for over a year. And then this flurry of, of murders happens within six days. So Merseyside police have been absolutely desperate to convey that they're, they're not soft on organised crime. And in fairness, the, the Merseyside police have been rated as outstanding for the way they deal with serious and organised crime um, in, in uh, HMIC inspections uh, for a number of years. So it, it's it, nobody can argue that they've been soft on organised crime. Mm. I think what they wanted to do is something above and beyond the usual. Um, uh, DCS Mark Camini's head of investigations at the force. The way he put it was that organised crime has bared its teeth in Liverpool um, with these with these firearms related murders, and now Merseyside Police are doing the same. So they've had um, some funding from the Home Office, and they've had some mutual aid from neighbouring forces like Cheshire Constabulary, um, GMP Lancashire Constabulary. So they've, they've had more resources at their disposal, and I think there've been some fairly significant results. There's been, I think since uh, Operation Miller started a month ago there's been over 700 arrests been a couple of hundred um, stop and searches a number of weapons seized quite a few um, quantities of, of drugs seized so the, the, I think gangland figures are feeling the heat at the moment um, no, there's, there's been one firearms discharge in a completely different area since this has happened so it's like there's been this little flurry and the crackdown seems to have taken some effect. It always is going on, organised crime under the surface. You know, you scratch the surface of any city probably and you'll you'll find it. But uh, it sort of uh, meanders and dances with the law and, you know, it just... But then something like this happens and a line in the sand has been crossed and there has to be a pushback by policing for, you know visually for the people of the city so as they will begin to feel safe again and they will see that the their tax money is going where it should and uh, I suppose there can be this sense when something as awful like this happens as if it's completely out of control and that really who are untouchable is it the organised criminals or you know uh, uh, and these these kind of pushbacks against crime groups can happen because of the activities of one individual. Is there a sense that um 
gangland itself is turning on the individuals possibly who were involved in this, that they have caused a lot of heat for a lot of people and that, you know, that the underworld will almost want to hand them over. I think there's certainly a sense that the disgust at this crime is is raw for, for all elements of the city, including the underworld. Um, there's also the, the more cynical um, motive that business as usual is almost impossible while this is going on and um, while the, the heat is on for, for the Olivia case. So there's a, certainly an incentive for, for this to be over quickly. Now, that being said, we don't know how deeply, how heavily involved the, the gunman is in, in certain gangs in the city, whether whether um, him being arrested is, is bad for them for other reasons, uh, if I can put it that way. We, we don't know. Um, it's obviously impossible to say what, who exactly is giving information to the police, um, but the police are strongly hinted that they're getting information from a cross-section of society, is the way they put it. Right. And what about Joseph Nee, the 35-year-old convicted drug dealer who was the the would-be target? Um, you said he attended hospital. Has he been released or, and has he doing okay? So he was recalled. To, so yeah, he attended hospital for treatment after after he was shot. Um he was uh, he was on license for a conviction, a burglary conviction, we believe. Um, so he he was recalled to prison. Um, in a press conference last week, uh, the police said he's still receiving treatment in hospital. So it wasn't clear whether he he been to prison and then came back for more treatment. But I think he he's still still having ongoing treatment for those bullet wounds. Um, the police haven't been clear whether or not he's cooperating and and, and if he is to what extent. Um, we don't know if he even knows himself the the particular individual who was who was chasing him. Obviously, the man was wearing a balaclava. Um, it, it may be one of a number of people who he suspects was after him. We don't know that yet. Uh, so he, he will obviously have valuable information. Whether he's given that to the police yet, we don't know. Okay, and Olivia Pratt Cabell. I I know it takes longer in the UK for funerals to happen than here here is kind of they're usually uh, well maybe not in a case of a murder but when someone dies they can be buried within a few days I know it can take weeks has that funeral occurred and if so how big was it? Yeah the funeral was um, a couple of weeks ago uh, at the local parish church uh, St Margaret Mary's it was yeah there was a, a big attendance um, I think the church was uh, about 450 capacity and it certainly looked full from from the area where the media were uh, permitted to attend there were also a couple of hundred people lining the streets from outside just from from what I could see so it was it was a, obviously the, the death of any child is a feels an unnatural surreal type of uh, event of the, the funeral is it just doesn't feel right that nobody should be yeah. there we shouldn't we shouldn't have to look at a little coffin um, a little white coffin with rainbow stripes and pink butterflies. It's it's not something anybody wants to see. Um, and and, and the, the funeral was actually, the church was actually next door to a primary school. The children were all in school. So the um, the cortege had to go past the, the primary school. There was there was pink letters on the railings outside spelling out a name and, and pink love hearts in tribute to Olivia. So it's difficult to imagine what our schoolmates were feeling on that day. Horrendous. But Liverpool has such stood side by side, shoulder to shoulder with, with her mother and her family no, to absolutely. show their support. Yeah. Um, and of course, it is this awful crime that has focused us on Liverpool and its connections to gangland crime. 
very strong connections between Liverpool and Irish gangs and always has been. Um, and we're going back, I suppose, Liverpool being the entry port to the UK drugs market. A lot of gangs have been in existence there since the late 70s, early 80s, into the 90s when you had the ecstasy culture, which kind of really brought new drug users to that market that might not necessarily have gone for the likes of heroin or harder drugs. Ecstasy kind of became an opening drug for them to start taking cocaine, etc. And obviously the demand has grown and grown and grown. But um, Liverpool, yeah, it's a curious place. It's certainly almost like the, I've heard it described before, as like the Amsterdam of the U- of the UK. It's like a drug supermarket. Well, yeah, I mean, um, you can see from what happened with the Encroach uh, hack, um, I think the way it was described recently by the police was that Merseyside was overrepresented in the number of Encroach handles that were, were uncovered when, when that system was hacked. Um, it was in the region of, there were 800 handles just on Merseyside alone. Um, mm. So that just gives you a sense of, of how, how like the contacts that were made, the networks that exist in Liverpool. Um, I think Liverpool's what the, the criminal underworld in Liverpool is is certainly one that has always looked internationally. Um, we've high level criminals in, in Liverpool have been adept at making direct contacts with um, with, with suppliers, um, with producers. Sorry, uh, certainly in South America, uh, there's deep there's like you said there's deep connections to Ireland. There's, there's connections to um, Amsterdam. I think. You say that um, Liverpool's that the Amsterdam of the UK. I think Liverpool criminals go to Amsterdam. They, they make contacts there. That's certainly there's certainly a lot of of connection yeah. there. Um, it's Liverpool gangs will work with anyone. They are very mm-hmm. economic minded. You, you get certain certain cities where it's kind of more territorial. It's it's more sort of LA based street gang type culture. In Liverpool, it's all about it's all about making money. It's all about the uh, about the doing deals, making big money deals. Um, Curtis Warren is obviously the, the biggest name. Yeah, I was going to say, are they all yeah. still sort of trying to catch his coattails and follow <laughs> the, you know, his, his because of course he would be the most infamous Liverpool mm. criminal due out of jail apparently in the coming months. Yeah. Um, but he of course was the first kind of certainly known criminal that had made, he cut out the middleman, didn't he? And he went directly to the Colombians to bring in the uh, the supplies. Yeah, that's right. Um, he he kind of changed the game a little bit. There was precedent before him. Um, Michael Showers, he was a, a well-known criminal in the Toxteth area. Uh, he made connections in Africa to bring um, uh, hashish in and, and cannabis resin. So there, were, there have been other entrepreneurial criminals, if you can put it that way, who've made direct connections overseas. But Curtis Warren was certainly the first one to do it on the scale he did it. Um, bring absolutely huge shipments in from South America, um, so that that kind of that kind of laid a framework for for people who've, who've mm. followed since. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we've seen in Encro Chat. The the connections are there. The international link is there. Um, there was recently, uh, I, th- I think in June, uh, a huge shipment of cocaine in Thessaloniki. If I pronounced that right, in in Greece, yeah. was intercepted. Mm. And, and there was uh, a number of men from Merseyside were amongst those arrested, and that's still um, going through the courts over there now. So, uh, so you can see that Liverpool gangs seem to crop up in a, in a lot of places. They make, they make connections with a lot of international gangs. Uh, one thing that's interesting is in, in recent years, much of the cocaine trade in, in the UK has been run by uh, Albanian 
syndicates. Uh, and that's not happening in Liverpool. In London, the, the, the Albanians almost um, uniquely control the cocaine trade in Liverpool. I've it, heard it, that, and, and the, the firearms trade. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. it's not something that's that's come up too much in Liverpool. Um, the, the the old school family-based organisations still seem to be the, pri- the, the primary source of, of drugs. Um, th- those networks are, are still the ones who are bringing it in, as far as we're aware. <laughs> And is that due to the firearms and their use of violence that they're holding control of the city and the the region as opposed to, because I know certainly in London the feeling is the Albanians can be or are, they're the the typical types that have little to lose, so they're really, really super violent. They're very feared. In Liverpool are the local gangs holding their own against that sort of influx? I don't think you could say that this they're particularly ferociously violent compared to other types of organised. I mean, there's always that element in any organised crime network. But I think Liverpool just just Liverpool gangsters have just got the net the connections there. They've just got the networks already, and there's not been any, as far as we can see, any concerted effort by um, Albanian gangs or other uh, criminal organisations internationally to to take over that market. I don't think they. Um, one thing we know about Albanian gangs is that they're also quite economical and um, and pr- mm-hmm. pragmatic in the way they they take over areas that they take over. And I just don't think they've seen it as a, as a worthwhile enterprise in Liverpool as yet. So they're a tight network, uh, and they have it. They have it very organised. Tell me a little bit about Liverpool. What is the, if you know off the top of your head, what what's the kind of population? And I mean, it must have quite a large local market for drugs as opposed to shipping them on up across the country. That's absolutely, yeah. It's, I think the Liverpool city region's um, around a million, uh, roughly, very roughly. Um, the, the city itself probably more in the region of 650,000 population. So the same size as Dublin? Yeah, it's, it's a big, it's, yeah, it's a big oh, I city. I thought it was bigger. Um, yeah, I thought it would have been bigger than, than Dublin. It's not, um, if you compare it to Manchester, Manchester's population is bigger, but Liverpool... Um, it's it's a poor city. Uh, yeah. Merseyside obviously includes a few towns, St Helens, um, Southport, that kind of thing. But yeah, the, the overall city region is around a million. Um, mm. But there's a huge nighttime economy as well. People come from all over the country for a night out in Liverpool, and including people from. It's a popular destination for for stag and hens from from Ireland. Um, sure is, yeah. Dublin, Dublin and Belfast, uh, people come for for a night out in Liverpool. So there's, I mean. That uh, nighttime economy is obviously a, a potentially good market for for drug for party drugs, cocaine, ecstasy, that kind of thing. So there's a, there's a market there. Um, How openly are the drugs used in pubs and clubs? It, I mean, it depends on the area. It, in the city mm-hmm. centre, there's there's quite a tight control on, on things like that. Um, so th- obviously, there's always going to be uh, institutions that aren't as quite aren't quite as um, yeah, they don't uh, are tightly controlled on, on drugs, but it's um, the, if, if there's certain areas in the city centre where you you can go out and almost guarantee that you'll be offered cocaine by somebody in the street, that kind of thing, yeah. it does, does go on. Um, and 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 I think pubs are a little bit outside the city centre. There are certain types of pubs where I think it's a little bit more 
open. I was only asking you that because a friend of mine who would be fairly streetwise uh, was there recently on a, a, a trip with a group and she came back and reported to me that, oh my God, Liverpool is 10 times worse than Dublin. They're taking cocaine off the tables and stuff. And I was like, you must have been in the wrong <laughs> the wrong area. She said, oh no, everywhere's the same. And I was like, I can't believe it. There are places in Dublin that you can see people literally openly taking cocaine in pubs and stuff. I presume it's exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to lose for pubs for if that kind of culture is going on. The licences yeah. can be taken away very easily if that if that thing becomes regular and prevalent. Um, it's it's a quite a, a risky thing for a pub to allow to happen. Um, police are obviously it, on nights out in the city centre on busy nights, Saturday night. There's there's a lot of police in the city centre, so it would be a risky way to run your business. I'm not mm. saying it doesn't go on, um, and obviously people can can go off to the toilets and take cocaine. It, uh, there's no there's no sort of hiding. There's there's a lot of cocaine in Liverpool yeah. being taken on on Saturday night. Um, it, it well, it's the same in Dublin. We yeah. can't sit in, in judgment. I can tell you, there's plenty of it here as well. That's why the, these gangs will evolve and change because the demand's there. The demand's not going anywhere um, for, for that kind of drug. Uh, it's a different. There's obviously different markets in in Liverpool. There's there's the harder drugs in areas of deprivation, crack cocaine and heroin, and then there's the party drugs um, for 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 people on nights out. And then I think the younger crowd. You, you're talking sort of MDMA. Uh, ecstasy, ketamine, that kind of thing. A lot of encroach um, cases have involved ketamine. So it's, I think, I think that the uh, the, the wholesalers in Liverpool diversify. You, you'll get people arrested for conspiracy to supply cocaine, heroin, ketamine, cannabis. So the, 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 they're not stuck in one kind of market. Yeah, they're selling whatever is 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 going. The um the levels of arrests are enormous in such a short period of time since the murder of Olivia. Um, and now we're only really talking five, six weeks. Uh, sorry. Sorry, me and my maths again. We're only really talking, sorry. We're only really talking eight weeks as such. And yet there seems to be this kind of like intelligence-led arrest and, you know, that that kind of, up close in their faces, policing of a lot of gangland criminals and groups. Is it likely that the information garnered through that EncroChat investigation has given Merseyside Police a very good outlook on who's who and what they're doing in the region? And do you think that they have used that intel that came in through that to target these groups now? I'd say it's, it's highly likely. Um, the police have been have been opened that they're only still partway through working through those encroachment handles that have been identified as, as Merseyside base. I think um, there's still around 600 handles that they're trying to attribute to, to actual individuals because obviously you, you get the handle, you know, you can see the messages of, uh, of what activity they're involved in, what drugs orders are going in, but then you have to try and work out who who is behind that handle. And some people, some gangsters have been very kind and and taking selfies on there or, or taking pictures of the house. We even had one who had a, a huge Conor McGregor what mural on his on his wall, which was helped to identify him as, as the hand the user. But oh yeah, of, of course those um though that would have been an absolute gold mine of evidence. It was unprecedented. I think what one detective described it as the biggest boost to policing against organized crime he'd seen in his career. Um, so I, I, I think that's 
highly likely. Um, yeah, and in different regions and, and countries, they've said similar and that it was this window into organised crime and a very clear view into it that they didn't realise quite Absolutely. so many people were involved and all the rest of it. Um, the murder and often murders, even of the innocent, can be forgotten as time passes and, you know, people move on and the next story takes precedent and all the rest of it. Is the murder of Olivia Pratt Corbell one that will ever be forgotten or is it still there? It's still in the headlines. It's still in the headlines, absolutely. Um, obviously, as time passes, it becomes less of a national story, um, certainly. But I think we'll hopefully, when charges happen and the court case takes place, that the, the focus will, will remain on Olivia. It won't ever be forgotten. There's, we've seen with Reese Jones, um, that's still a case that, that's very, very raw for a lot of people in Liverpool. It, it, it was such a shock. And, and the fact that it's happened again is it, horrendous. Um, we, we did have another child killed in a, uh, in a murder in uh, November last year. Um, that was, it was a slightly different type of case. It was another another child who who'd actually inflicted the fatal blow. It was, it was a knife, uh, a stabbing knife crime, and killed a twelve year old girl called Ava White. So these kind of cases are, are horrible. They're, they're shocking. Um, I think the use of firearms and the fact that it, she was an innocent victim of, of grown adult men, gangsters fighting with each other. It just absolutely sickened people in Liverpool. And and, and people don't want Liverpool to be known for this kind of thing. It's not a city that's, we're not talking, it's not a Chicago, a Chicago or the, the Baltimore off the wire. It's not that kind of place where people are dropping dead every weekend with, with gun crime. So these kind of things are, are just, leave absolute shockwaves through the community. Um, Liverpool's on the whole a fantastic city. It's People are warm, friendly. It's had its issues with deprivation over the years. It was another reason that, that there is a, a pretty formidable organised crime underworld. But the city itself, it's not. It's not some crime-infested hellhole. And I don't think people want to give that ground to the gangsters. They don't want the gangsters to win. And I think we we remember we, we do that by remembering how people pull together after things like this have happened, and, and how the community reacts. And, and I think there's a there's a, a lot of work going on in in the communities where Olivia lived and died to to make sure that other children are, are not too traumatised. There's, there's counselling on offer. People have been able have been able to express their feelings, and um, and there's been a lot of support and a lot of funding there to to make sure that the, the sort of ripple effects trauma of such a horrific crime doesn't doesn't damage the community uh, more than it has to. Well, Jonathan Humphreys, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.